Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 11, verses 16 to 19 and 25 to 30. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in marketplaces and calling out to others. We played pipe for you, and we did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom has proved right by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord from heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal them. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. From John 15, verses 19 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. We continue with our sermon series in... The, in and along the topic of friendship, titled The Bridge of Friendship, considering how friendship might be something that God equips us for, that allows us to reach out to those across differences, people who are different from us, and to experience friendship with them. So far in this series, we've learned from the Old Testament, a number of places in the Old Testament, 
that God related to people in a manner of friendship. We learned first that, that Abraham was referred to in the Old Testament as a friend of God. Last week, we, we looked at a particular text from the life of Moses where it says that, that Moses and God would talk together face-to-face, like friends do. And then we also learn from the life of David that, you know, David and, and, and God had such a close relationship, and yet that was kind of, it was vulnerable to David's own sin, and some pretty major sin at that. And yet we learned through Psalm 51, David's song of confession and of God's great forgiveness of even the greatest sin. That friendship is forged through forgiveness. That as human beings, we are, are being not perfect people. It means that whenever there is something called human friendship, forgiveness has to happen for friendship to remain. And so in this series, we've been following the lead of Dr. John Perkins, who in his book, um, He Calls Me Friend, that many of us are reading right now, he, he develops his argument in his book following a Trinitarian framework. First talking about God the Father, and that's where we've been so far in the sermons. And then talking about God the Son, Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Friendship with God. And so today we move into God's grand move of friendship with creation. With all of humanity. And that is through Jesus. The incarnate son of God. You might say. That Jesus himself. Is. The bridge of friendship. Between God and humanity. Because Jesus is the bridge. Who brings us. Who were once far away from God. Near. And close. It's January. Uh, some of us remember that not too long ago we celebrated Christmas. And uh, there's a, a new year that began a few weeks ago. Uh, how are you doing with your New Year's resolutions three weeks in? Oh, we got to have some thumbs up and some yes. Some, 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 uh, we got some, some kind of uh, some, some. We'll see. We'll see. It's in progress. In process. Okay. Well, we remember from, from our, the focus every Christmas that Jesus is God with us. The, some of the greatest texts in Scripture about, about Jesus being God, the God, the, the God of the universe, the all-powerful creator of the universe, that that God comes across such a distance in every respect to come to be with us in human existence, taking on human flesh, being born in human likeness in the form of a baby who grows up, who lives life, and who, who we read of his ministry in the Gospels. Jesus came to be with us, God with us, which is what the word Emmanuel means. And he was the word made flesh. And we speak of this as the incarnation 
Emmanuel and incarnation are those theological words in the Christian faith that speak of God crossing that great divide, the gap between God and humanity. And that gap can be seen in in two primary ways. One of those ways is just a practical dimension in the sense that, that human beings are finite. We live only a certain number of years. We grow and live, and yet we are vulnerable. We're vulnerable to accidents. We're vulnerable to disease. We're vulnerable to our bodies starting to decay as we get older. God is not vulnerable in that way. God is eternal. And so that in itself is such a great difference between God and us. How can an eternal, immortal, invisible God be in friendship with finite, vulnerable human beings? There's also the gap caused by sin that is related to the gap that we just talked about. But in specifics, it's the fact that God, in addition to being immortal, invisible, eternal, universal, God is also perfect. We are not perfect. We struggle. We fall into sin. We miss the mark. And so how then can we be in fellowship, in friendship, in close intimacy with a perfect God, with all that we struggle with in terms of sin? Well, in Jesus, God took on our human flesh to dwell with us in this place where we live, where we experience weariness and where we carry heavy burdens. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus makes this invitation to all who are within its hearing. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is God who has come across the bridge to be with us. And yet... We have to go one step further in describing Jesus in light of this text. That Jesus is not one who came over from the perfection of heaven, God himself with us, to stand near us or above us and lord it over us with arms folded, telling us what we need to do to get our lives in order. God is not imparting wisdom to us like perhaps a self-help guru would, telling us that we can have the secret to this relationship with God as long as we start paying those easy payments of $19.95 a month. Or even a YouTube podcaster who promises some reward to followers if they hit the like button and subscribe. No. 
In light of these words, this invitation from the gentle and humble heart of Jesus, John Perkins, in his book, He Calls Me Friends, friend, looks at these words from Jesus in Matthew's gospel, and after celebrating Jesus' gentleness and humility that is so much a part of our friendship with Jesus, he focuses in on the yoke that Jesus mentions in this chapter. A yoke. Definitely something I haven't had a lot of experience with in my life. Some of you might have. Uh, this is a device that connects two beasts of burden. So that, so that one of the animals does not have to do all of the work. It's so that there is a partnership, a fellowship in carrying or pulling the burden. And for Perkins, and for a great many of those who have responded to Jesus' invitation to come to him... The great thing about Jesus is that Jesus gets right there beside you in the midst of whatever you are facing. Jesus came to be with us to get into the yoke alongside us. So you can choose, there's an image up on the screen, you can choose which one of those is you and which one of those is Jesus in this, in this illustration. Jesus gets right in there to share the burden of your human struggle. Now it challenges our imagination to, to understand how can Jesus do this with each one of us, and not only just us, but people worldwide. This invitation, Jesus' personal invitation goes out to the whole world and to generations yet to be born. And yet that's what the Holy Spirit can do. Whatever situation you're in, the message from Jesus today is that you're not in it alone. Jesus is in it with you. When you really need a friend, when you really need a friend, Jesus is that friend. And his friendship knows no end. Dr. Perkins writes this. When Jesus invites us to be yoked up with him, it's an invitation to friendship. When you yoke up with Jesus, he pulls the load with you. And we can carry an unlimited amount of trouble, trial, and stress when we're yoked up and become friends with Jesus. Like the hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. That's who Jesus is. That's the kind of friend Jesus is. A kind of friend that bears our burdens. And as Jesus bears our burdens... Jesus frees us up from anxiety and worry so that we might become that kind of friend to others. To help bear their burdens in friendship. As the Apostle Paul encourages us to do in his letter to the Galatians. Well, in the Gospels, we see Jesus engaging his mission... 
through relationships person to person. It's kind of interesting when you think about it. We take that for granted so much. Uh, but when you, if you have a task, anyone who's had a task, say it's a really big task, we don't always think of getting everyone involved in order to do it. Some of us like to be in control, in charge of something, and, and, and maybe are limited in the amount of people that we enlist to be a part of this movement. Well, the movement of God's mission of love to the world that, Jesus, that was Jesus' mission and still is through the Holy Spirit and is also the church's mission is a mission that is distinctive as a person-to-person building of community. It's based on friendship. In fact, you could look at the, the expansion of the church in the world from the very first few followers of Jesus all the way to the billions of believers in Christ today throughout the world. It has been fueled by friendship. In Luke chapter 8, it's just a a small section in the Gospel of Luke where we see Jesus traveling from town to town, addressing large crowds. Jesus had his, his kind of mass communication ministry, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. But Luke goes on to tell us that the 12 were right there with him, close. And the 12 are the 12 disciples that Jesus called and said, come, follow me. And they followed him. And Jesus had a very close, intimate relationship with those 12. Even within those 12, there were three in particular that as you read the Gospels, you realize that that they had a particularly close relationship with Jesus. But in that text from Luke, we also read that the 12 were with him, but also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Women who the text mentions supported Jesus and the disciples from their own financial means. In addition to these circles of friendship and relationship, Jesus was known to have deep abiding relationships with people who he had issues with. Uh, If you've read or heard of the Gospels and Jesus' life, you would know that if I said the word Pharisee, you'd think, okay, Jesus not too too, uh, excited about the Pharisees. Jesus got in a lot of arguments with the Pharisees, uh, disagreed with their position on many things with Pharisees, had some really harsh words for them. And yet there was that evening when one of those Pharisees named Nicodemus approached Jesus and Jesus welcomed him. And more than just welcoming him, welcomed his question. And patiently responded and shared with him about what it means to be born anew through God's spirit into eternal life. We don't hear a whole lot more about this particular Pharisee until the very end of John's gospel. When after Jesus has died on the cross, the task of taking his dead body down from the cross and laying it in a tomb falls to Joseph of Arimathea who has offered his grave 
for Jesus to be buried in. And right there next to Joseph, who is described as a disciple of Jesus, is Nicodemus the Pharisee. He is one of the two men who carry Jesus' body and lay it in the tomb. A deep friendship. Deep and abiding friendship in Christ is something that that has captivated this congregation through the years. The phrase life-giving relationship with Christ is is a phrase that was part of our church's mission statement uh, in over the past seven years. And just last year, we adopted a new mission statement, but retained this phrase because our desire is to be growing deep spiritual roots in a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Because this deeply rooted friendship is the kind of relationship that we're invited into in Jesus. And it's the kind of friendship that Jesus empowers us to offer to others. To abide with others. To be a friend who remains. In John 15, Jesus speaks for the first time, and and, and in an undeniable way, Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Friends, philos in the Greek. It's actually one of the three words for, it's based on one of the three words for love. Friendship is about love. It's a particular kind of love, one person to another. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Now that's the New International Version. Some of you remember Jesus saying, Now abide in my love. This is the kind of friendship that Jesus has with his disciples. And it's the kind of friendship Jesus calls us into in the church. Crossing barriers on the mission of God's love to the world. Transcending cultural barriers of language, culture, and ethnicity. Developing friendships that remain in the midst of great adversity. Friendships like the friendship, the abiding and remaining friendship between a Mennonite missionary to China named Dorothy McCammon and Dr. Yu and May. I read about this particular friendship in a book written by Dr. Dana Robert, who is a professor of mission and the history of mission at Boston University. She recently published a book titled Faithful Friendships, in which she chronicles these boundary and and barrier-crossing friendships that have been the lifeblood of the worldwide missionary movement. Like, you cannot have a missionary movement without there being friendships that transcend cultural differences. And yet, the, the testimonies that come from the mission field and from our lives, many of us who have engaged in mission have friends. We're thinking about friends who we have in our lives right now who are different from us, but we are together with them because we are friends in Christ. So in a nutshell, 
Here's how the story of Dorothy McCammon's friendship with Dr. Yu and May worked out. Yu was, a, uh, was the daughter of an Anglican clergyman uh, in China around the early parts of the 20th century. And so she was raised in a Christian home. She actually was a very bright student and after studying at university in China, uh, went to medical school in the United States and became a doctor, an OBGYN, and returned to China and began practicing medicine. Uh, she was, was in a particular uh, city in China where there were, was quite a bit of, of Christian missionary activity. And one of the first uh, divides that was bridged in the friendship between Dr. Yu and Dorothy McCammon, who was a Mennonite missionary, was the difference of denomination. The different beliefs that different groups of Christians have that often disappear in the missionary context. Because you have so much more uniting you in Christ than the different perspectives on Christ that you have. And so, you and May was friends, as an Anglican, was friends with Dorothy McCammon and her husband, who were Mennonite, and also with the Stockwells, who were Methodist missionaries. The story takes a very decided turn in the aftermath of World War II during the communist takeover in China. It was outlawed to be a missionary. Missionaries were, were accused of, of all kinds of, of things that led them to be uh, imprisoned and tortured and expelled from the country. And during the time when they were experiencing heavy oppression, their Chinese friends ministered to them, cared for them, risked their own life and reputation because it was expressly prohibited for anyone in China of helping these, these uh, international guests. But Yu and Mei was there. And she remained with her friends. And she brought food to them when they were under house arrest. Dorothy McCammon, actually, her husband had been uh, sent away, uh, had been shipped out by the authorities, and she had their first child there alone. And you and May was there to help her give birth. Ultimately, all of the Western missionaries were expelled from the country. And those who had helped them were now targets of the government. Dorothy McCammon wrote the, the, really the biography of this friendship and of Dr. Yu and May, and it's titled, We Tried to Stay. It was the type of relationship, that remaining friendship, that abiding friendship, where, where she couldn't imagine leaving a friend behind, and yet she found she was powerless to, do, to, to avoid that. 27 years later, they were reunited. And Dorothy McCammon went to China to interview her friend, Dr. Yu and May. And she learned what her life was like after the Communist Re Revolution. She had been in prison for 27 years 
And through that ordeal, she was at times in solitary confinement. At times, she was tortured. But what she knew during all of that time was that she had friends. She knew her friends were praying for her. And she was praying for her friends. And she was right. Friends like Dorothy McCammon were praying for her. Churches all throughout the world were praying for her. Not everyone survived those long imprisonments. Dr. Yu did. And it remains as a a powerful testimony to friendship as remaining. Friendship being friends for the long haul. In the midst of challenge after challenge after challenge. As you and May wrote to her friends in her first letter after she was released from prison, she said this, I never doubted, even in the pitch dark of a prison cell, for 19 straight months, I never doubted the love and the prayers of my friends. This is friendship that remains. Over the long haul. This is the friendship that we know and that Dr. Yu and May knew in Jesus. And this is the kind of friendship that we can extend to others as we extend God's love to them and share Christ's hope with them here and throughout the world. Because it's all about remaining friends. It's the kind of friendship that we might be invited into as we allow God to help us cross those bridges. Those bridges of denomination. Those bridges of ethnicity. Those bridges of distance and personality and age. And we will be able to do that through the power of Jesus Christ... And we will say, with an exclamation point, what a friend we have in Jesus. Amen.